And once you look at it from that point of view, all the work around branding changes because now you realize you have to know what people are thinking. The customer actually does count. It's not you just broadcasting your idea and picking up as many uh, customers as you can. You actually have to uh, get inside their heads and help them become who they want to be. Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 314. Today is Sunday, the 10th of February, 2019. And first, a quick shout out and thanks to Marketing Shark and KC1962 for your recent podcast reviews on iTunes. I'd love it if you all would consider dropping in your rating or review too. Meanwhile, you can always send me your comments or questions to nminterdial at gmail.com. So today's guest is Marty Neumeyer. He's a best-selling author who has penned such well-known books as The Brand Gap, The Brand Flip, and Metaskills. His latest book is a business thriller called Scramble, How Agile Marketing Can Build Epic Brands in Record Time. In this conversation with Marty, we talk about the importance of having a designer mindset in business and the challenge of building a superior brand in today's tech-infused world. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast, where we discuss branding and all things digital. I am Minter Dial, your host, and you'll find the show notes on my eponymous site, MinterDial.com. Enjoy the show. Marty Neumeyer, it's great to have you back on the show. So we are doing this, uh, you are in California, I'm in London, and uh, wanted to have you back on the show to make for a better ringing in to 2019. Um, so Marty, for those of you who don't know you, um, I, I consider you a, a guru, an expert on branding and uh, also on design. You're the author of many best-selling books, including Brand Gap. And you've also wrote a book called The Designful Company. And your last book, which was the subject of our last podcast, was Scramble this sort of uh, business thriller that you put out. So great to have you back on the show. And, and, and remind us who you are, Marty. Thanks, Minter. It is great to be back with you. Um, yeah, so I, I, I'm, I work for a company called Liquid Agency in Silicon Valley. But my most of my work is um, theorizing, writing books, uh, leading workshops for clients, um, just getting out there and spreading the the gospel of brand. So, how would you describe if you were you know with the beginning of two thousand and nineteen? How would you describe the the world of branding and how it's different today than it was in the past? Well, it's. I would say over the last fifteen years, um, what we're seeing is a deepening of the understanding that we had during that time when. When uh, we we redefine the meaning of a brand, because you know, brand used to be uh, you know it used to be a, a logo, right? A brand, you know, mm. can you make the brand bigger? Was something I heard a lot. I love the package design. Can you make the brand bigger? Um, eventually, I started saying, no, I can't. <laughs> uh, that's a that's a different project. But I can make the logo bigger. So, brand is not a logo. Um, th- these are the kinds of things we had to explain 15 years ago. Brand is not a logo. It's not a product. It's not a company. It's not a strategy. It's not the sum of all impressions. It's not a, a promise. Those things are all involved. But a brand is something that customers create in their minds about you. 
So you can say it's kind of your reputation. And once you look at it from that point of view, all the work around branding changes because now you realize you have to know what people are thinking. The customer actually does count. It's not you just broadcasting your idea and picking up as many uh, customers as you can. You actually have to uh, get inside their heads and help them become who they want to be through your product or service or, or company. So um, that was you know, my first book, The Brand Gap, redefined branding that way. But what's happened in the meantime is social media got in the act and really made that true. <laughs> so now customers have way more control. And uh, when they decide what a brand is, they tell everybody. They all have a, you know, are developed, co-developing a brand about you, your company. So that, that makes it even more critical that you get this right. And it often requires that you change everything about how you build a brand. So when you go into your customers and or make speeches, do you find that this is still there's resistance to this thought still in in America in the companies you I mean because you're obviously at sort of the heart of so much change out in San Francisco area do is it still something that people don't get and if so then how do you make them understand it better I think they get it a lot better than they did because in the beginning I would get a lot of pushback saying no 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 that's not what a brand is <clears throat> you know it's all about logos and ad campaigns and that you know I got a lot of pushback from advertising agencies because they could see if this were true then their business is no longer valid you know so um, got pushback from them I got pushback from the people that hire advertising agencies usually marketing directors who didn't want to see that uh, didn't want that to be true, but now it's pretty much everybody just sort of like their eyes are open and they're 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 absorbing the information. They're trying to understand what to do about it. But I don't have the problem of convincing them that a brand is not a logo anymore. That's that work is done. So I'm happy happy for that. <laughs> so if if we now we understand that brand is so much more, and of course this is where you and I, you know, we're meeting of the minds and 100% enjoy that perspective the challenge then for brand marketers today is what what how do you describe it if we now get it how do you do it well it's it's a big challenge the challenge is um, how do you get a complex organization to execute a simple idea you know because you know organizations are full of people so that's a problem right there you've got people with different opinions different levels of skills uh, personal agendas, all kinds of things are going on. So um, how do you manage to find the one idea that's going to separate you from the competition and com compel the right customers to join your brand? Um, and so what happens is uh, because there's a lot of people and the company's complex with a lot of different goals, uh, the simplicity gets lost. Right, it just sort of dissipates, and then you end up kind of falling to the average, and pretty much you start to look like your competition, in the, from the view of of customers. In the companies, from the company's view, often uh, they see themselves as very different um, because they're they're up close, they're in it, they're inside it, so they can see the differences. But from the outside, you know, customers uh, have difficulty seeing a difference unless it's very very obvious. So that's what you have to do is find that obvious, compelling idea and execute that relentlessly and then evolve it over time because um, strategies decay. You have to keep 
refreshing them. To what extent would you say that the 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 agencies have been part of the problem then? I mean, you mentioned a, a little while earlier that they rejected these kind of notions before. Do you, do you feel that they're now in a better position? And if so, how are they in a better position? Yes, I do. I always knew they would figure it out because they're smart people. Um, they're in a better position because they now realize it's not just about uh, TV ads anymore. Um, and uh, in fact, all the media choices that they have um, are pretty fragmented, so they have to figure out how to be valuable in some other way than just charging for you know uh, media that doesn't actually deliver very much because it is pretty measurable when you do it that way. So um, you know, smart companies are figuring out that it's not about marketing; it's about mattering. You know, hmm. it's like how do you, how do you make the company matter to its customers? And the skills inside an advertising agency are formidable. Um, you know, you got people that can really get to the crux of something and um, talk about it and get the word out. So the problem is in, is how to charge for that because it's not so simple anymore. If it's, it just used to be, you know, 15% of the media costs, which had its own problems, obviously, because the fox is in the hen house. When you say to an advertising agency, you figure out where we need to be, you know, and so, well, we have to, you have to be everywhere, you know, <laughs> it's going to cost $5 million a month. So, uh, uh, that's all changed. It's made it more difficult, but, um, it's pretty exciting now when you see some of the things advertising agencies are doing, they're, 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 they're working in areas that, uh, you wouldn't even have conceived of before. They're coming up with all kinds of, um, events and things that, that, were difficult to charge money for, right? So you put on a huge event or a stunt or something uh, that that gets a whole tribe of people involved. Well, so then you got to go to the client and say, well, it's going to cost you, you know, this is a $5 million project. And they're going to go, well, what's the return on that? And you're going to have to say, well, we don't, we don't know. <laughs> you know, we, we, we can't actually measure it. Which is always true in the past as well. I mean, we can measure, but we just don't know, as I say, which is the effective part. So yeah. um, you've got this idea of making things simple. And maybe in today's world, the complexity has gotten as overcomplexified. And let's say there's always mm -hmm. been complex, but now to make simplicity within this fast-changing, with so many choices mode, how does one go about getting down to that core message what is i mean is this is this i gotta call marty all the time <laughs> but or you know that that you're um you know one of the best agencies how, what are the, how do you structure that notion of simplicity yeah you don't have to call me but you have to have a sense of of what's necessary and you probably should be working with somebody on the outside who brings objectivity to it and who's worked with a lot of different um companies and industry types a lot of different personalities who can objectively come in and um, make sure that you're being honest, right, and bold, mm. right? Because that's what happens is a lot of companies when they do it themselves, they pull back um, from from what they really need to do, which is have a simple, bold concept. So it does help to get the right team in to to help you do it. Um, but the work is, it starts from the very top of the company. You have to know, um, you know, what's the purpose of the company beyond making money? It's a crucial question. And it's a question that um, 
companies dodged for many years, and that's sort of how we got into the position we're in where no one trusts companies anymore. Um, you have to have a reason for being that's beyond just making your shareholders happy. You know, increasing shareholder returns is not a purpose, right? It's it's a function of being a company, but it's not the end all of being a company. There has to be something more. So if you you have to figure out what that is, and then at the same time you have to look at your core customer. Who's the core customer? If I were to describe that man or woman or child, um, who would that be? And what is that person about? What are they trying to get done in their lives? Um, and then make sure that 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 identity, the customer identity matches perfectly with the company perfect purpose. So those two things are at the very top. Without that, you can't get very far. Hmm. However, having that doesn't do the complete job because you still have to compete. And there may be other companies with the same purpose and this, the same target audience. So you have to differentiate, differentiate yourself. So that's the next level down is you have to understand what that customer's aims are. What, what, what are their goals in their life, their life that you can solve, that you can help them with? And then why are you the only solution for that person with that need? Right, so that's called I call that onlyness, and mm. onlyness is you know our company is the only blank that blanks, the only um, you know airline that that uh, delivers that, on time. Yeah, right. That is not always on time, right? Or you know whatever it is, um, the only uh, shoe company whose shoes are light as a sheet of paper, something like that. I actually have. Uh, uh, somebody, I know somebody who does something like that. So um, those are very simple, powerful ideas that you can own for quite a long time. And even if you have competitors, you can still own the idea of it if you're the first and you do it the best. So um, you got to start there. And then you have to get into issues of um, our customers probably belong to some sort of tribe. Uh, it's not even doesn't have a name, but it's a bunch of people who think the same way and um, that's that's a loyalty reinforcer. So if you've got, you have to know what tribe they're in, and preferably you have one tribe per brand. You don't have like a, a brand doesn't serve three or four different groups of people who have differing interests. That's actually a misuse of a brand. And so you have to have a very good idea of who they are, and then that tribe, uh, the rules of that tribe, have to connect. Uh, squarely with the values of the company. So those are sort of three levels, two columns. And when you've got that, you've got the basis of a brand. You've got a filter for all the decisions you're going to make going forward. And everyone in the company knows what they're about. That helps you keep on target. And if you start um, coloring outside the lines, it'll be obvious to people who say, hey, wait a minute, if we if we do that, that means we're not this company anymore. So are we going to change who we are? Or are we going to eliminate that path? So, well, so that's how you, that's how you start. So, uh, you know, I think back to your book Scramble with uh, that CEO David Stone, and the, the the way he had the turbulent path he got to finding his mission for the company that he was working on. To what extent do you believe that the the C-suite, the executives, the leaders, anyway, somehow who are finding this purpose for the company actually need to have a personal ambition to that in other words that it it resonates actually with their deepest personal selves 
Um, it doesn't have to. And, and certainly there are companies who are, um, um, you know, into uh, leader number four or five or six. So the founder, founder's long gone. Obviously, they're not going to uh, have that same founder's vision and passion, but they could still have enough passion and the right kind of passion to lead a different sort of company than a startup. So I, I would say that it's important for startups to have a founder who's the figurehead, the vision, the vision uh, master for the for the brand and believes in the brand passionately and will put a lot of effort and uh, resources behind it. But after that, the next CEO and the next one and the next one need to um, really understand the company and understand how branding works in general and uh, and know how to get the company from wherever whatever wherever it is to the next stage. You know, to to design a path essentially from where they are to where. Uh, the leader thinks they should should be next. So something that you and I spoke about briefly before we got into our chat here was content marketing. So it's sort of high on the list of many blog posts and everyone's talking about it as a way to drive your brand. So Marty, are you a believer in content marketing? If so, if not, explain why. I'm suspicious of content marketing. I'm old enough to remember um, what happened to advertising way back in the 50s and 60s when um, with uh, long copy ads and so forth that were in articles that were placed uh, to promote uh, a product in a product or a service or a business. Um, and I kind of f feel that they're suspect because they um, are they're sneaky in a sense um, if if a reader or a viewer is not sure where this is coming from and takes it as a, a, a dispassionate objective um, you know article um, but it's actually got an agenda that's that's a that's cheating a bit and what's going to happen is that'll come back to to um, undermine the uh, authenticity of a brand so I think I mean, it can be done. It can be done well. Um, it has to be open. You know, you have to say, look, this is this is from the company. This is our point of view. You can't just say some bloke, you know, uh, believes that, um, you know, Ryanair is the best airline in the world, um, you know, and, and tries to convince you of that or starts telling stories that get to that, um, you know, get, get people to that frame of mind. You know, when you tell creative people in advertising agencies, design firms, PR firms, you tell them that um, branding is about storytelling, which it is. It's, you know, brand is like a never-ending story, like a never-ending television series. It just keeps on going, right? And hmm. and stories are part of it. They get very excited when you, when you make that pitch to them because they love making up stories. I mean, that's, the, that's their underlying skill is... Um, is making making a case, um, a, often a charming case for something uh, that that convinces people that they should sign up with a brand. Um, the the thing is that audiences actually resent that; they reject it, and they love stories too. But they want to tell the stories, you know. And that's what's happening on social media. Everyone's telling a story or part of a story about your brand which is out of your your control, right? They want to do it, and it's their view of your brand, which is what I've always said. That's what a brand is. It's a, it's a person's gut feeling about a, about a product. So 
if you, if you're the one telling the stories, there's going to be a clash at some point where they read something and they say, no, 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 that's not what that brand is about, and um, they start to to disassociate from it. So it can really backfire. And um, and I know we all want to write stories, we want to talk about the brand. That's that's traditional advertising's role, um, but we're beyond that now. So um, I think this is a, it's a throwback to um, something that was kind of discredited way back in the 50s and 60s. But you know, most people doing it weren't around then, so they didn't see how that became regarded over time. So I, I think uh, companies that want to be authentic should be very careful about how they use that. And, and clearly, at some point in that basket, you're throwing advertorials as well. Right. That's the word that we used in the 50s and 60s, advertorials. And after a while, they had to be labeled as such. If they were going to run in a magazine or a newspaper, they had to say that at the top. And um, But often they would still try to cheat a bit by, by adopting the, the trade dress of the magazine or the or the newspaper so it looked just like an article. And and the more you know, um, sort of high end magazines and newspapers uh, wouldn't allow that, right? You couldn't you couldn't mimic the look of the of the uh, real editorial. At some level, a lot of things that we're talking about are about not cheating and not having deceit, because the issue is we kind of go down every rabbit hole we can as marketers to try to do everything we can to scream the loudest, get the most attention, and that quickly runs out of of suitability in the eyes or the ears of the consumer yeah they're smart right <clears throat> at least if the good tribes the people that you know the customers you really want the ones with the money and the ones who are really capable of spreading the word about you uh, they're the first ones to to sniff out something that's not right and you start hearing about that so if you know social media is a great way to uh, listen to customers it's not a very good marketing medium, in my view, but it's a great listening medium to find out <clears throat> how people regard your brand. It's all about what they think, and once you know what they think, you can make adjustments. Well, and, um, to your, so, and to your point, Marty, I, at some level, if if it's not a marketing medium, it actually could be the modern marketing medium if listening is really integral to this whole notion of the, your brand is what other people feel about you, not what you say it is. Well, it's an input medium rather than an output medium, I would say, because if you start to use uh, Facebook or um, LinkedIn or something uh, to promote a message or a company, I think that's that's um, a misuse of it because it's a it's social media, it's not commercial media, right? So, you know, just be honest about what's an advertisement and what's not, and I think you're going to get a, a lot more success. The other thing is that brands more and more are built on the actual experience um, uh, the experience and the meaning of what that experience brings uh, which has to do a lot with the product or the service itself so a lot more effort has to go into just making that product or service be great right and 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 compelling um, and then everything else is more about just revealing it to people and not persuading them that it's something that it's really not you mentioned before, Marty, events. Do you have an input as to what mm -hmm. constitutes the right type of event for a certain type of brand? How does one go about making an event which is not just the 18th thousands sponsoring of Deep Purple or something? You know, yeah, yeah. Um, well, the whole thing with, you know, so we're getting into the area of touch points. So once you have your, um, 
your filter for your brand, you know, what the basic story is, <clears throat> you know, this sort of things I talked about purpose and onlyness and so forth. You take that and you create touch points uh, for customers. And these are the ways that customers experience your brand. So they experience the products, messaging, whatever you give them. So in my view, the touch points that you create need to be pretty original or at least fresh to, to really make a difference. You can't just um, observe somebody else doing something and think, well, that worked. We can do that. We'll just take that. Our competitor did it. Uh, we should do that too. Okay, so example of, of that is, you know, Apple created a sensation with their Apple stores, which nobody saw coming. You know, these beautiful stores that look like museums. Um, uh, and it was really successful. So what happened in a few years? Microsoft put out their own stores. And did <laughs> Google, looked, too. And they, and they look the same, right? They have that same aesthetic. Uh, that, that doesn't work, right? It works for the first one. So do something different. So that, that whole idea of creating touch points that are not only different, but align perfectly with what the brand is and who the customers are, that's the art. And if you're just... Um, looking around and, and borrowing things from your competitors, you are never going to get there. You're just not going to have that um, that that talked about um, you know experience that you want. You can, however, borrow it from a different industry, you know, and change it. That could be exciting. Or you could come up with a touch point that no one's ever seen before. All right, that just is uh, heretical when you first think of it, and then you realize, no, this is actually outstanding and it aligns perfectly with who we are so let's do that something else that intrigues me about you marty is your background in design it, it's mm. a word you know intellectually i understand and i talk to friends who are designers but you come at it from a practitioner standpoint and obviously it was present heavily in scramble where you do about design thinking i'd be interested to hear how you think what is the importance of where does design fit in at an executive level and and what are what are c-suite typically missing when it comes to design well i think you know design kind of brings up ideas of designers working at a table or with a computer um you know in, in, a, in a room somewhere in the basement um working on a specific thing you know designing a logo or a website or you know or in a you know industrial building designing a product and those are all true and very important activities but I like to look at design um, in a broader way and I think of design as changing an existing situation to an improved one which of course all those activities do you know let's create a better product let's create a better logo let's you know but I, I think of it as a way to get from point A to point B so you you imagine um what could be that isn't today and you figure out how to get there and design is the process you use to get there so that means imagining um, things that weren't there before ideas that weren't on the table um, shaping them testing them you know, prototyping and testing and bringing them to a point where they they work really well and then getting you know putting them into the marketplace so that's when you think about design like that Design can be used at any level of the company. It can be used in your personal life. It can be used with a, 
a problem you have with your with your husband or wife. You know, you can use design thinking. So this is a really powerful way of thinking that designers um, kind of understand intuitively because they were that's how they do their work. They do it with their hands and they they come up with new ideas and test them out and try them out and perfect them. So that's something that's very useful at the top of a company, especially in strategy, decision making, uh, organizational design, all those kinds of things are a kind of design. You know, if, if you're a CEO and your company is in a position that you don't like, that's difficult and you want to get it into a better position, take it someplace, you have to design a path from A to B. And so that's the same kind of thinking. But what happens instead often is traditionally trained CEOs will say, okay, what are other people doing? Or what did I learn at Harvard yeah, or Cambridge? Um, uh, what, what did we do in my last company that really worked? Let's just do that. And so all these ideas are sort of existing ideas that they pull off of a shelf and try to um, adapt to their situation. And often those aren't very original ideas, and they're probably not as appropriate to the actual situation. But using design and design thinking, you can get there much quicker and in a safer way and, and a much bolder way. So, you know, if, if a CEO, um, let's say he gets together with his team and they come up with some ideas, and some of them are pretty bold and really might work, he starts thinking about it or she starts thinking about it and says, wow, that's pretty risky. You know, I mean, if we fail there, that's going to be really bad. We'll we'll lose a lot of money. We'll get a lot of bad press. We'll be a laughing stuff. We'll, we'll probably go down the tube. So let's not do that bold idea. Let's just pull back and just like take a smaller step. Let's do what that guy over there is doing. <laughs> you know, that's working. We'll just mm. do that. That'll, that'll sell really well. The shareholders will love that. Yeah, tried and because, true. It's yeah. a it's a big name consultancy. How can they go to wrong? Yeah, that's right. Uh, or that you know, right? The other our biggest competitor is really doing well with that. So let's do the same thing. Uh, <clears throat> that's never going to create innovation. So you need a path to innovation, and if you want to innovate, you got to design. There's just no other way about, around it. So that's what. CEOs need to understand, and then when they understand it, they see that, well, we're not really set up to um, support this kind of activity. I mean, we don't have the right people, the structure of the company is wrong, we don't invest properly, all these things start to be obvious, um, and I think that's good. I think we need to really rethink how a corporation works in an era where um, it's nonstop innovation, you know, as a path to success. Listening to you, Marty, it feels like the key word is creativity. Because if if we're not doing what the others have done, then there's sort of an, a notion of origination that I'm going to create my design path. That's going to make the original output. That's going to make me bold and make me different from the others. That's right, and and it's, it is creativity and. Wouldn't you rather work for that company where uh, creativity is demanded on every level in some way, and constant change is the no it's the norm in the company where people don't say, "Oh no, we're changing again." Like last year we were doing that, and this year we're doing this. Geez, when's it ever going to stop? Well, if you're doing it right, it should never stop, and it should be um, a joyful exercise for everybody to to always be contributing, always inventing as you go. So creativity is huge, but I would argue that the number one uh, thing to create a uh, goal of creation is to create a customer 
and 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 keep that customer. And when you think about it that way, that that tallies perfectly with the definition that I use for branding, which is a, a brand is a person's gut feeling about a product, service, or company. Well, we get we need to create that customer through that brand, right? And when I first realized that that's what we should be doing is creating customers more than creating products and services, I thought I was very proud of that sort of like I, that I stumbled into this insight. And then I was looking through some old notes from my first book, and so this goes back a long time ago, 15 years. And uh, I found a, a little card I had written where I read something Peter Drucker had written. Peter Drucker, the 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 guy who sort of invented management consulting back in the 50s, um, it was way ahead of his time. And he said, the only valid reason for a business is to create a customer. <laughs> so exact same words back in, I don't know, 1960 or something. So uh, nothing's new, I guess. But but I think we've never really, you know, taken them up on that. And so now we are. It, it, at some level, it just resonates, of course, on another side, because now everyone's saying being customer centric. And at some yeah. level... The, the idea there is is a little bit diluted from your thought, which is, well, we have a customer. How do we now, you know, focus our energies on him or her? You're saying actually create one, which is, let's say, more up the funnel. Yeah, it's it's like that's that's the way you build a company now. Is you you start with a core customer, and you build it out from there. So who is that customer? Uh, why do we want that customer? What does that customer need from us? What does that customer want to do in his or her life? Um, if you can solve that one person's problems or challenges, then that person probably has, you know, it represents many other people that you could, you could have as your customer and, and that person will start telling other people and you'll build it out from there. So that's, you start with just solving one person's problem and you, and you grow it from there. That's a much better way to do it. And you, it gives you the chance to learn as you go. Um, and now contrast that with the way it's traditionally been done, which is you look at a market, someone analyzes the market, and they say it's a it's a fifty billion dollar market, and let's segment it into these different areas, and let's see which segment that we could uh, win in by by owning that segment, and so you you sort of put th- people through a funnel, and they come out the bottom, and those are your customers, but what if what if there is no market for what you're doing because things are changing pretty quickly, and and often the biggest companies uh, start when there's no market at all. They build the market from scratch. They see a need and turn it into a market. So they they, they bring the market along with it. Um, that's how you really become successful today. So uh, to do that, you really have to be customer-centric. Um, you have to realize that uh, you, you don't exist without that customer. So it's not you're going to exist without customers and they'll find you. No, you, you need to solve a real problem in people's lives, help them achieve their destiny in a sense, in some little way, and um, they return that as as loyalty. So um, it's a it's a much different um, way to do business, but I think it's the way that works. When you look at all the companies that are hugely successful today, Apple and Amazon and a lot of others, you'll see how much they care about customers. No doubt. So, Marty, I know that you are coming to Blighty, to London, in March. <laughs> I am, yes. You tell us about what you're doing coming to your uh, Grandmaster Workshop. 
Yeah, this is so exciting. Um, I've been giving workshops on branding for you know 15 years, but this is the first time I've sort of compressed it into a two-day experience where at the end you learn so much that I'm willing to um, to confer a certificate of uh, to, to call you certified brand specialist. So that's the goal of this is to get people through this material in a really fun, um, experiential way. And, and so when they come out the other end of this, they have a, a really clear view of the playing field of branding. And even if they've been in branding for 10 years, I think they'll still learn quite a bit. Um, they'll come out, uh, if they pass a, pass a test that shows that they've absorbed the material, they'll come out and they'll get this. And that, that will be a differentiator in the marketplace for them because, you know, it means something. So um, by virtue of my books and so forth. So they say, oh, yeah, they, you studied with Marty Neumeyer in this, so you understand the brand gap and all, and how to zag. Yes, yes, I do. So it'll, it'll show people where they fit in the big scheme of things. That's the goal of this first level. And the program is actually a five-tier course. It's a five-tier program. It's five courses, kind of like working your way up through to a black belt. <laughs> and this is the first one. So I'm really excited that the first one is in London because I love London. But it's uh, um, the company that I started to do this is called Level C. Um, we conceive it as a sort of pop-up brand school. So these courses will pop up wherever we get partners to put them on. So the first one's in London. Second one will be in France. Third one, I believe Chile. Um, we're talking about maybe Ireland. So um, that's getting pretty far in the future. But um, it'll move around the world, um, which is really fun. So... Um, People in different parts of the world will get a chance to to take these classes, and as we go and add tiers to you know the five tiers, we're going to roll them out about two per year. You'll be able to take more than one together if you've got a lot of stamina. You do a one two day course followed by another two day course and so forth, and earn a certificate for each one. But um, our goal is to make these certificates valuable so that um, an employer or a boss sees that you have it, they look it up and they go, oh, yeah, this is this is something that you got this. And um, it makes you more valuable either as an employee or a consultant. So this would be something for peop everyone who's basically interested in marketing, probably more at the lower level, junior levels at some levels, because level one's more the introductory white belt, if you call it. Yeah, and, and, right. it is, but, but, but it's necessary to get to the other ones because I guarantee that people who have been doing this for even 10 or 20 years don't know some of these things and so it's a reset for them because branding has changed quite a bit and so how much does it cost of, uh, and when is yeah, it happening how much does it cost? and how do you sign up i don't know how much it costs it's sort of in line with other um conferences and, and, and so forth you sign up at uh i think clearleft.com so well, clearleft I'll, is I'll be putting a company. in the show notes so yeah yeah or you can just go to martynewmeyer.com my website and I'll have information about all the upcoming classes as they are announced. That's great. And so the ones yeah. in London, do you have the dates? It's there at the Barbizon, yes. right? It's at the Barbican. Barbican it's, um, yeah. It's your city, right? Yes, it is. Barbizon okay. is another city in France. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, right. You and I are uh, Francophiles. Indeed we are. We live, we live in France part of the year. That's right. Um, so um, yeah, so at the Barbican in London, um, March 14th and 15th. So it's a Thursday and a Friday. It'll be a very active two days, and uh, you'll get to meet 
a lot of people that are keen on branding, a lot of people who have been following my work over the years and are really um, eager to to um, take their knowledge to the next next level. Um, and I suppose, you know, in time we'll be back with more courses in London, but I think it's going to move around, and I think that'll be the fun of it. I, I like to travel, and I think a lot of the people who take my courses uh, travel anyway, and they're always looking for an excuse to go someplace interesting. Sounds like a great idea, Marty. So listen, how can someone other than your website, which you just mentioned, uh, follow you? I suppose you or your Marty Newmeyer on Twitter, right? I am. Yeah, Marty Newmeyer on Twitter, one word. And uh, you can link in with me. So, same thing. Sounds good. Marty, thanks for coming on the show again. Great to have you. Hopefully, I'll have plenty of chances to catch up with you in a pub while you're doing your brand master uh, workshop. Well, that's great. Yes. Looking forward to it, Minter. Thanks so much. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes and other blog posts on MinterDial.com. If you enjoyed the show, please like the handy Facebook button. Or better yet, head over to iTunes to give a rating and review. But first, relax to Josh Sachs's finger paint. Oh, fill me with all your colors any different way to rid me of the gray and heal me with all your imperfections that you mention in your lack of
Hi, my name is Sarah, and I want to tell you about my podcast called Can I Offer You Some Feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com.